Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Um, I've entitled this series on Hebrews, Jesus Makes Everything Better. And that kind of leads me to my first point here in Hebrews chapter 12, is that because Jesus makes everything better, we need to keep him at the center of everything. Keep him at the center of your church. Keep him at the center of your theology. I find it interesting when I talk to people and they... they, uh, you know, you can tell that Jesus has kind of left their theology. They get off onto some screwy types of things. So keep Jesus at the center. Our faith only works when our focus is on Jesus. That's a really powerful statement. Your faith only works when your focus is on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't focus on the wind and on the waves. Don't focus on yourself. Don't focus on what other people are doing or thinking. Just keep looking unto Jesus. Amen. Let's go in here. Uh, Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I love to hear that it says, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. You are not alone. You need to be around people of faith. I love that the writer of Hebrews, he talks about people in the past who are people of faith, but he also tells people you need to don't forsake the assembly of yourselves. You need to come together, and as the time draws near for Jesus' return, you need to come together more and more often. You need to be around strong people of faith, period. You need to hear testimonies. You need to be hearing them on a regular basis, amen? You need to share your story as well. We need to be proclaiming the goodness of God. I love that it says to run with endurance. You know, the race of faith, it's not a sprint. It's not, it's, it's a lifelong journey. It's a marathon. You don't stop. You know, one thing about a marathon, you don't stop. You don't give up. Even when you feel like it, you don't give up. You keep going. You keep trusting God, amen, so run with endurance, and I love what it says next. The thing that causes you to run with endurance is that you can look unto Jesus. Look unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. I love that. Some people start with Jesus and they try to finish it themselves. Let him start it, let him keep writing it, and let him write the conclusion, amen, let him Let him be the the center of your life. Keep him at the center. Let him be the author and the finisher of your story. And and the thing I know about when you let Jesus write your story is that he has some surprise chapters ahead of you. I talk to a lot of people and they say, this is what's going to happen in my life. And I'm like, let Jesus write your story. He might surprise you, but his surprises are always good surprises. I always like a good surprise. I was watching a show with Fisher, and, and he was excited. I hadn't seen the show, but he did. But he's like, there's a good twist in this. And uh, he, he likes when there's surprises. Amen. So let him be the author. Let him be the finisher. And I love this here, what it says next. Um, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What was that joy that was set before Jesus? That he went to that cross, that he endured it. That joy that was set before him. You are that joy. You know, he loved you so much that he actually went to the cross with joy just thinking about you. You give Jesus great joy. And when Jesus thinks about you and God thinks about you, he smiles, he, he's happy, he takes joy in you. Amen? You are that joy. You give great Jesus, you give Jesus great joy, so don't forget that. 
He endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You know, um, this past Sunday I preached about um, the divine imagination. I talked about how God has a soul, how he has a, a mind, will, emotions, how you even see that in the life of Jesus, that Jesus felt compassion towards people. He also sometimes felt anger. You know, there's one point where, where he was so upset by what was happening at the temple that he flipped over tables and took a whip and went after people. And, um, you know, you haven't been in ministry too long if you haven't felt that wide range of emotions. <laughs> but when I feel like, you know, coming into Karis Christian Center and flipping over chairs and whipping people, I just, what I do, I consider him. Maybe someone hurt me. Maybe someone said something bad about me. Maybe someone betrayed me. Jesus went through a lot more than I did. And he still loved people. He still, man, prayed one of the most powerful prayers ever, which is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And um, that, that kind of helps keep me on track. Amen. Consider him. Verse 4, you have not res yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you, as sons, I love this, that he calls this an exhortation. What does that word exhortation mean? Some people, when they think, well, this, the next few verses that he's bringing out from Proverbs, talking about being corrected, being chastened as a son. Um, some people don't think of that as an exhortation. If I were to say, God is going to chasten you tonight, you, most people wouldn't think that's a, an exhortation. But here he's saying this is actually an exhortation, this is actually a comfort. The, the, the Greek word for exhortation, it's periklesis. I know some of you kind of recognize that. It sounds like something similar. Exhortation, it's from the Greek word periklesis, which means a consolation, an exhortation, a comfort, an entreaty. So when God guides us, when he corrects us, this is actually a great exhortation. And um, the, the word periklesis here for exhortation, it sounds a lot like the Greek word what? Parakletos, Pastor Lawson wins the prize. And Heather, there's, there's a few people who said it out loud, Parakletos. What is Parakletos? The great helper, the Holy Spirit. Jesus talks about the helper, the Parakletos, in John 14. I'm going to read a few verses here, John 14, 16 through 18. Jesus says, I will pray the Father. I love that he's talking about the Father. And right here in Hebrews, is talking about the Father and how the Father what our Father does. So I'll pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that Parakletos, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. I love that. This is actually a great exhortation. Here in Hebrews 12, verse 5, he quotes Proverbs 3. It says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chastening? does not chasten. Verse 8, but if you are without chastening of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. You know, we have a father. We are not orphans. There is a major orphan spirit in the world today. 
there's actually a lot of believers who've tapped into that orphan spirit. And we see some things that, that, um, that, that are mentioned here in Hebrews 12 about that orphan spirit. And you see it very clear, especially in the world, who cannot receive that sonship from the Father. So I'm going to tell you the three traits of an orphan spirit that I see right here in Hebrews 12 in these few verses. Number one, the orphan spirit rejects direction from the Father. Number two, the orphan spirit rejects truth. And number three, the orphan spirit is disrespectful. Man, disrespectful has been increasing in the world. It's because that spirit of that orphan spirit, which, which is attached to the Antichrist spirit, it's growing in the world. It's growing. Uh, but, but we are not orphans. We are sons and we are daughters. Amen. Same again. Okay. The three traits of an orphan spirit. Number one, Pastor Lawson wants to write these down. He's writing it right in his Bible. So you know it's good. The three traits of an orphan spirit rejects direction from the Father. Number two, rejects truth. And number three, disrespectful. Man, that orphan spirit, it's extremely disrespectful, almost to a, a disgusting level. It says here in verse 9, we see, we, we see this um, topic of respect. Verse 9, furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and leave. I like that it says pay them respect. You know, um, this pastor actually did a study on honor. And really, I believe that honor goes beyond respect. When you respect someone, you're, you're giving them what they deserve. It's a payment. When you, when you respect a, someone in authority, you, you are giving them what they're due. If you respect like a, a police officer, you're giving them what they're due. If you respect a teacher, you're, you're giving them what they're due. If you respect a pastor, someone in church, you're giving them what they're due. But when you honor someone, it goes beyond a payment. It goes beyond what someone is due. It actually goes beyond what you even think they deserve. If you want to honor your spouse, do something greater than what you think they deserve. Maybe you think your spouse deserves the cold shoulder for how they've been acting lately. If you're going to honor them, you actually go beyond what you think they deserve. This is really good. You know, if you want to honor, honor someone, you know, at, at work, you, you go beyond what you think they might deserve. And God loves when you honor people. God loves when you honor, you know, family members. He love, loves it when you honor people at church. He loves it when you honor pastors. God loves honor. I've seen, I've seen actually when, when the church has really gotten together and honored someone, when they've honored Pastor Lawson, I've seen, I've seen just an anointing breakout in the church. Growth happened. Finances increased at the church because God loves honor. He loves honor. He loves it when you honor people, and, and his anointing is there. Honor is powerful. Honor can, can just break things off of people. Honor can break, break, break so much. Let's go on here in verse 10. It says, For they indeed for a few days chastened us, as seemed best to them, but he for our prophet, that we may be partakers of his holiness. I love that. You know, a great, a great father, when, when they discipline their children, they, they point out the reason why they're disciplining them and the goal behind it, what they're trying to do, what, what direction they're trying to steer you towards. Whenever I correct my, my children, 
And my daughter, Ada, is only two and a half, so I can't have full conversations with her. Heather thinks I need to discipline her more. I tell her I just treat her like I treat all the women in my family. I just give them whatever they want. <laughs> but we'll see. She's getting a little bit older, so she doesn't always get what she wants. Heather pretty much gets what she always wants, though, so... I always try to honor, you know, love and, and honor Heather. Amen. She, she, she is God's honor to me. You know, she, the, the Bible says that a, a good wife, it's, it's like a crown that a husband wears on his head. That's what Heather is to me. She goes way beyond what I deserve, way beyond what God could have paid me. Amen. I don't deserve much, so. But Heather goes beyond. So, so a good father will actually you know, tell, tell their child, you know, the, the goal, the end goal. Whenever I've had, you know, meaningful conversations with Fisher, kind of chastening type of conversations or discipline, I always tell them the goal of it. You know, Fisher, I, I God has a great call on your life. He, you're, you're going to be a leader someday. This is why I'm teaching you these things now. So when you get older, you know, you need to learn how to obey me now because someday you're not going to hear my voice every day. You're going to be listening to God. God will be your father and he'll be speaking to you. And you have to obey his voice. So I'm trying to teach you how to obey his voice. That way, when you step out into what he's called you to do, you'll stay on track. Amen? And that's really what a father does. You know, God's not going to leave us as orphans. He's going to keep speaking to us. He's going to keep, keep us on track which is a great comfort to me. That's a huge comfort to me. Verse 11, it says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by, you know, going through an intense training is never comforting. But if the Holy Spirit, you know, if he's your trainer, he's going to teach you how to live. He's going to teach you how to live righteously, how to live soberly. He's going to point you to truth, even when the world is dark. Amen? The Holy Spirit can be your trainer, and he can lead you into greatness. He can lead you into how to fulfill your God-given destiny. I love it when I know that people are, are, are in tune with the Holy Spirit. That means I don't have to correct them. I can wait and, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to them before I have to intervene. You know, one thing I've learned from observing my dad, he's a very gracious leader, a very gracious minister, is that you don't always have to go and just crack the whip on everyone as soon as they mess up. This is really good. I, I've learned it's better to, to, to just wait and see what God does, wait and see how God speaks to people. Wait and see how God fixes the situation. Because usually when God, actually always when God fixes the situation, it's always better than, than you trying to fix it your own way. Does that make sense? So sometimes you need to slow down and, and just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to people. You know, I've, I've learned in marriage, too, I, if I'm upset, I don't have to just verbalize everything right away. I can just sit back and... Realize that God's in our relationship too. That means I don't have to fix everything myself. I can, I can let God speak to me, let him speak to my wife. Amen? And usually that's a much better way than just me trying to fix everything myself. If you're trying to fix everything yourself, you're going to be frustrated because you're trying to be the finisher. 
Sounds like a movie, The Finisher. Sounds like a violent type of movie. I'd rather have Jesus be the author and the finisher, amen? Jesus started, but I'm going to finish it. Doesn't sound like a Karis type of movie to me, a Grace type of movie. She leads me to my next point. So you keep Jesus at the center. Next point here is we are to go from grace to grace. The next few verses actually talk about how we are to go from grace to grace, and it doesn't just happen automatically. Some people actually hinder the flow of grace in their life. Verse 12, it says, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. God always wants to heal people. He always wants to strengthen people. He doesn't want to just cut people off. He doesn't want to just amputate people. Amen? He wants everyone to grow together. You know, I oversee the worship team here, and we have about 25, 30 people on the team, but, but quite frequently, at least once a month, I look at every single individual on the team, and I ask myself one question. I ask, is that person growing? Are they able to grow musically? Are they able to grow spiritually? Are they growing personally? I know if, if they're growing, then they are in a good environment. And if, someone, if someone's a little weak, and I can tell they're a little weak, I'll, I'll try to pass to them, I'll try to address it, I'll try to figure out what's going on, what's causing them to maybe be weak musically, be weak with their walk with God, be weak just with their, their, their life overall, and um, really we're to, to strengthen those weak areas. We want, we want every, everyone to be strong. We want everyone to grow, amen? This church is a growing church. I know that I'm growing because I'm attached here. I've seen my dad grow as a pastor. If some people say, well, I'm just going to go somewhere else because I've, I've heard it all. I've heard all of Pastor Lawson's stories. I've heard all of Pastor Aaron's stories. There just isn't anything else for me there. No, we, we are growing together. That's what a grace community looks like. We, we, we grow from grace to grace together. Amen? And if you think people aren't growing around you, you might be a little self-centered to not see the growth that's happening around you. Amen? That's a really good word. If, some, if something's weak, you want to strengthen it. I remember when I was... Um, in high school, I was, I was practicing a lot of, of flute. I was trying to get ready to you know, apply for some of the greatest colleges I could get into for music. And um, 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 I, I remember when I was practicing, I, I had a very weak pinky finger. This pinky finger, like, it annoyed me like crazy because it, it always just buckle. You're supposed to keep your fingers curved because they're stronger. When they're curved, you can play faster. You can, but this pinky finger would just always buckle down. It would just collapse because it just wasn't strong enough. So what I did, I, I just taped it curved. My teacher would tell me to curve it, and I just couldn't curve it, so I just taped it curved. And after just taping it every day when I'd practice, after two weeks, it, it, it strengthened. And it was just as strong, and I, could, I didn't have to have tape on it. It was just as strong as the other fingers. And then I was able to, to play actually much better, much more smoothly, much faster, just because that, that pinky finger was strengthened. Sometimes you're only as strong as your weakest link. And, um, you know, years ago there was that show, that British lady, she'd, she'd be like, you are the weakest link, goodbye, amputated. That's how the world works. That's not how the body of Christ is. If someone is the weakest link, you don't just chop them off. Goodbye. 
The church should not be like the show Survivor. It should be called Thriver, where everyone is called to thrive. And that kind of leads to the next verses here. Pursue peace with all people. That's a, that's a tough phrase sometimes to, to chew on. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. So it is possible to fall short of what God wants to do in your life. God gives more grace to who? The humble, but resists who? The proud. Can there be proud people in the church? Yes, can, but, but God gives more grace to the humble, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Here, actually, in my notes, I write down four things that will hinder someone from going from grace to grace. I want to go from grace to grace. I want God's power in my life. I want to go from each step that he has for me in life. I don't want to fall off track, right? How do we go from grace to grace? Four things that will actually hinder someone from going from grace to grace. Number one, bitterness. Man, bitterness is a huge one, you know, so, so huge that he says many have become defiled by this. Those aren't, you know, light terms to say many have become defiled. So bitterness will hinder you from going from grace to grace. We see the next one here in verse 16. It says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. The second thing that will hinder you from going from grace to grace is not valuing God's blessing. Man, God, God had a tremendous blessing, a tremendous birthright for Esau, but he did not properly value it. There are many people in the church, there are many sects, uh, sects, of believers, there are many denominations, there are many people who don't value the birthright that they have as new born again believers. And if you don't value it, you're like Esau, it's actually profane. You need to value everything that the blood paid for. If you don't value it, it will cause you to, to not be able to go from grace to grace. If you don't value what, what is your, your birthright as a believer, your covenant rights as a believer, if you don't value your righteousness, your sainthood as a believer, you won't be able to operate in the grace that God has for you. If you don't value that by his stripes you were healed, if you don't value that, if you don't, if you don't thank God for that, if you don't believe in it, it's actually going to hinder you from going into that grace he has for you. If you, don't, if you don't value that, that part of our covenant right as believers is for him to, to take care of us, for him to prosper us, then it's going to hinder you from, from, from going, from abounding in grace. How are you to abound in the grace of giving if you're stuck in poverty? We're to go from grace to grace. So, so the, the first thing that will hinder you from going from grace to grace. Bitterness, second, is not valuing God's blessing. Actually, many believers will trade it for something that is worthless. 
know, Esau had something that was very valuable, something that was his God-given right as the firstborn. He was to get a double portion, a double inheritance, but he traded it for a bowl of beans. People will trade God's blessing, God's provision, God's promises for the silliest of things. They'll trade it for religion. They'll trade it for popularity. They'll trade it for for temporary pleasures. They'll trade it for whatever idol the world might present or the devil might present. We're to value God. Don't, Don't trade it. As I was reading this and thinking about this, I was thinking about that song, The Devil Went Down to Georgia. Don't go down to Georgia and trade your soul for the devil's golden fiddle. (laughs) That golden fiddle, it's not real gold. It's fool's gold. The devil, he's always a liar. He's always a deceiver. Whatever he will exchange for you for what God has given you will be completely worthless. You'll always regret it. So don't trade God's blessing for anything. Don't trade your covenant rights as a believer. Don't trade your birthright for anything else. If Jesus paid for it, if Jesus gave it to you, if it is yours as a new creation in Christ, don't give it up. Don't give up your righteousness. Don't give up your provision. Don't give up your health. Don't give up God's plan for your life. We are to place tremendous value on God's blessing. When you do that, you're going to go from grace to grace, from God's power to power to power. Amen? The power of God does not diminish as time goes on. It actually increases. Four things that will hinder someone from going from grace to grace. Bitterness, not valuing God's blessing. Verse 17, we see something else. No repentance. For you know that after, afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. I actually believe there are two primary, primary types of repentance. There is a repentance unto salvation, that first repentance, and there's a secondary repentance that actually believers need to, to continue in. There is a, a repentance that, that is... Um, Just being able to let God change your mind, let the Holy Spirit change your mind. Not being stubborn, but being pliable, being moldable, being teachable. We should have a heart that that God can speak to. I've seen people who kind of leave that place. And it's a very dangerous place to go into. No repentance. Verse 18, for you have not come to that mountain that may be touched and that burn with fire into the blackness and darkness and tempest. So this is actually talking about Mount Sinai when the law was first given. And this is actually the fourth thing that will hinder someone from going from grace to grace. Number one, bitterness. Number two, not valuing God's blessing. Number three, no repentance. And number four, legalism. Legalism will will hinder the grace of God in your life. 
I'm going to read the next few verses. This is actually very powerful. Speaking about what happened out at Mount Sinai when the law was given. It says that you are not here anymore. You're actually at a better place. Say, Jesus makes everything better. We're actually on a better mountain now. Mount Sinai represents the law. You know, Mount Calvary represents the sacrifice. He took our, our place on Mount Calvary. We're actually, actually at a better mountain now. So it's Mount Sinai represents legalism. Legalism, number four, will hinder that grace, hinder you from going from grace to grace. This is in verse 18. You have not come to that mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire into the blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. I actually read about this in Exodus 20. The people begged. They feared God so much that they begged that they wouldn't be able to hear God's voice. They said, Moses, you go and hear God's voice for us. That's actually a trademark of legalism. A trademark of legalism is wanting other people to hear God for you. A trademark of religion, wanting other people to hear God for you. They begged Moses, Moses, you go and hear God. We're scared. We're going to run away. Moses, you just go and talk to God for us. A trademark of legalism, a trademark of religion. Verse 20, it says, For though they, they could not endure what was commanded, and if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses himself said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. Legalism will lead to fear. Legalism will, will ultimately lead to fear. It also ultimately leads to death. So those four things that will hinder people from going from grace to grace, number one, bitterness. Number two, not valuing God's blessing. Number three, an unrepentive heart. Number four, legalism. And Mount Sinai represents legalism. I love verse 22. Now, now we go and talk about this better place that Jesus has taken us to. We don't have to worry about Mount Sinai. We don't have to worry about... Man, we, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. We can come boldly before God. We can actually desire to hear God's voice for ourselves. This is what Jesus does as that mediator for us. Really, we shouldn't, we shouldn't want anyone to, to, to take the place of Jesus. He is our great mediator. I love this. We have come to Mount Zion. Mount Zion. And I love this place, Mount Zion, that we are now at as believers. This is my last point, is that we need to keep listening to Jesus. Jesus is still speaking today. Verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels and to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. I love this. To God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. We are on the top of the best mount. 
They talked about Mount Sinai that represents the law. You know, in the Old Testament, there's Mount Moriah. It's where the Temple Mount is, the Mount of Olives. That's where Jesus ascended into heaven. It's also where Jesus is going to come back again. Mount Olives isn't always going to be there. I've actually been to the Mount of Olives. The, the, the Muslims have built tombs on, on the Mount of Olives because they're, they're trying to stop what the prophets say are going to happen when Jesus comes again. Jesus is going to come again, and some bones ain't going to stop, stop him from coming back. And actually, when he comes back, the Mount of Olives is going to be cut in two. It's going to be pretty remarkable. We actually have a better place, Mount Zion. It's a heavenly mount. It's a mount that will not be destroyed. Mount Zion, there are no bones on Mount Zion. There is only life there. There's plenty of room on the top of this mountain. When I was younger, me and my brothers would play this game called King of the Mountain. We go find a little, a little hill, and we climb up to the top, and we try to push the other one down. You know, on Mount Zion, there's plenty of room at the top. Now, it's a very worldly thing, actually, to see someone succeed and to think, wow, they only got up there by pushing people down. You know, I've had conversations with other people, and I think if someone, if someone has you know, achieved success, if they've done well in their field, if they've you know, accumulated wealth, if they've, if they've only done this by pushing other people down, that's a very worldly concept. That's, that's, a, that's a lack mentality. That's a scarcity mentality. There is plenty of room at the top. There is plenty of room for God's blessing. And we sang about, about manna tonight. There was plenty for everyone to eat. You know, people, people even when manna was first given, they didn't trust God. They, they tried to hoard up extra manna. You know, hoarding is, is a symptom of a lack mentality. You go into your closet. If you have not worn those shoes in 10 years, throw them away. Give them away. Amen? Heather's saying amen. To me. She's saying I could get rid of some of my shoes. I wear most of my shoes. I wear most of them. Let's go in here. We are registered, our names are registered in heaven. Verse 24, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. And when Abel was killed, God said that I hear his blood crying out. Abel's blood was crying out for justice. He was speaking justice. But Jesus' blood cries out something else. It cries out mercy. It cries out it is finished. It has been paid for. His blood is crying out even today. And it cries out for mercy. It cries out for forgiveness to everyone who will accept it. Verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth but now he has promised saying, I love this. It says his voice shook the earth. 
I talked to someone recently, and they said, well, well, the church I go to, I, I think the pastor in our church is a cessationalist church. I've heard several people say they go to cessationalist church, churches. Theologically, they believe that the, the power of God, the move of God, the, the move of the Holy Spirit has ceased. If, if the power of God, if the move of the Holy Spirit, if that paracletos has ceased, tell me when did it cease? Give me a date. Tell me when. I know that it hasn't. I know that our God is still a God of miracles. Because I, I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen people who should have died who are still alive, years later. We have testimony after testimony after testimony of God moving in powerful ways, of the Holy Spirit moving in powerful ways. Do you know what? There's going to be some shaking going on. And I know what theologies are going to be shaken out. There's going to be a lot of things shaken. The power of God is not diminishing. It's actually getting stronger and stronger. The voice of Jesus is not getting quieter. It's getting louder and louder. The voice of Jesus is going to get so loud, it will sound like a shout. He's going to come back with a shout. And as his return draws near, there is going to be revival. There is going to be some things that are shaken. Idols will be shaken. Vain philosophies will be shaken. The prince of this world will be shaken. Religion will be shaken. Governments will be shaken. Entire nations will be shaken. But his kingdom will remain. His people will remain. They will stand strong until he comes again. He has promised saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth but also heaven. This last day revival, this last outpouring, it's not just the earth that shakes, all of heaven is going to shake. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken. Some things will be removed as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. I love this, for our God is a consuming Fire. God's power will not be diminished. His spirit does not evaporate. It does not dissipate. His glory, his power, his dominion will only grow and grow. His people will only grow and grow. His kingdom will only grow and grow. His government, that government that is upon his shoulders, will only grow and grow. So in conclusion... To him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb, be blessing and glory and honor and power forever and ever. Amen. 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 Awesome.
I was singing that song in my head. My dad used to sing that song at Kit Carson. To him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. To him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Be blessing and honor and glory and power forever. Be blessing and honor and glory and power forever. Amen. That doesn't sound like a cessationalist type song to me. Sounds like a power of God type of song to me. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.